Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'd like to introduce to the Backseat Driver Radio Show Ian Kellett from uh, IK Sport Classic and the Cording Shed, high above sunny home Firth. Ian, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you. Now, there's a lot going on at this place, but how did all this come about? How did Ian Kellett go from being a young lad into being a racing driver, somebody who looks after classic cars and somebody who has what has got to be one of the best destination places for classic car enthusiasts a lover of proper Yorkshire food all in one place you've only told me I've got 40 minutes I can't yeah. <laughs> be told in 40 minutes um, yeah well my dad was uh, my. it's my dad I've got to blame for it all because he was a chief mechanic at Oxford Speedway in the late 50s um, well late 40s early 50s and uh, so I had a love of um, Castrolar and other bits and pieces mm. You know, we still a Castrolar lover. When something goes past, he'll go. Yes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Somebody once told me that uh, he'd make a fortune if he could make perfume that smelt like Castrolar. Yeah. Or better still, a Jurex that smelt of Castrolar <laughs> while it was being used. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but no, my dad started me off, and I've always loved engines and cars. Yeah. I had uh, motorbikes and a go kart uh, as soon as I could walk. Um, and then I moved on and got an apprenticeship when I left school. I didn't like school. Best day of school I ever had was the day I left. <laughs> um, and I worked at a Vauxhall garage for a number of years, 11 years. Moved on to a BMW garage, ended up as service manager. Uh, moved on to um, a Ferrari and Porsche and Aston Martin dealership. Ended up as service manager there. And then, because uh, this one in your career is what, what has been for a long while modern cars as such, hasn't it? Uh, it was totally modern cars, but I always liked the old stuff. My yeah. first car ever was a 1947 Triumph Roadster, uh, which I got duped out of by a salesman at the garage who swapped it for a made me swap for a, a rotten old TR4A. Yeah. Uh, which never saw the light of day again because it was too badly gone. Uh, even if you brought it to uh, IK Sport Classic, I think we'd have to just say, "Whoa, hold on!" A bit. <laughs> there's, um, li- there's limits as to what there's we can limits bring back to, to what life. we can do. So I've always loved old cars. I've always enjoyed old cars, and so the opportunity when uh, uh, when the, the when it arose was to go and work at a classic car garage, which I did at uh, what was Grundy Mac down in Huddersfield. Yeah. And I, when I left the Ferrari dealership. Um, which uh, maybe I was getting too old and it was run by accountants and not people who knew what things were. Um, I wanted to go back to the spanners and get my hands dirty. Did you not find, though, and it's something I find, modern cars are all well and good. They start when you want them to. They stop when you want them to. They've no soul. There's nothing about a modern car that, for me personally, gets me going. Uh, No, I agree with you. And it's like modern cars, modern... Uh, well, modern supercars don't do it for me at all. 
uh, older supercars, yeah, give mm. me a Ferrari 250 short wheelbase and, yeah. and I'd be the happiest man in the world. Um, give me something that you have to work at and you've got to... Um, You've got to drive it. That's brilliant. But no, the new cars don't do it for you. You get in and they do it all. Yeah. Uh, we've got a few new cars that uh, come through the workshop and they've got ABS and traction control and this, that and the other. And, well, they just drive themselves. The other thing is sense. the owner will turn around and say it'll do 210 mile an hour. And I always say, when was the last time you drove it at that speed? Well, I've, never, I've never driven yeah. it at that speed. Well, no. couldn't you tell me what the point of buying it was? Yes, I agree <laughs> with you totally. Or you buy a certain make of car, which I'm not going to say what kind, mm. but people seem to buy it for the uh, noise it makes and the flames it throws out of the exhaust yeah. when you bounce it off the rev limiter when the car's stationary. What's that all about? Yeah. I don't understand that one <laughs> either. No, that doesn't do it for me. So. No. No, you've got to be driving them, and you've got to have something that you've got to drive. And do you know this sort of certain well-known German car that always sounds as good as it does because there's a speaker system in its exhaust? Correct, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so we got a fellow with a, a BMW, yeah. and he said, oh, oh, well, no, to be honest, there is a, a gentleman who came in a Porsche, an electric Porsche the other day, and as he was driving away, he said, well, what noise do you want me to make? Yeah. And I think he did it as the Millennium Falcon, is it? And he set off down the road, and that's what it sounded like. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, that doesn't do it for me. No. No. So when you left working on the modding gear, you decided you wanted to work on proper cars, classic cars. Yes. Where, where did you go from there? How did you set it up? Uh, well, uh, I went and did two years at uh, Grundy Mac mm. in uh, the classic car dealer mm. that was in Huddersfield. Yeah. Uh, but they moved, relocated to Malton. Mm. And uh, at that point, uh, we were all made redundant. Um, we could have gone and relocated, mm. but it was a big draw and the fi yeah. financially it didn't stack up. Yeah. Uh, so at that age, I was 40-some years of age and thought, well, I ain't going to get another job anywhere else. So I set myself up. So with um, £6,000 worth of uh, savings mm. and uh, somebody offering me some promises uh, that I could have, which were filthy and needed clearing out and were full of junk and rubbish, uh, giving me free for two years, um, I set IK Classics up. Yeah. We were doing uh, a few race cars at that point um, in my spare time. Uh, those customers came with me. And uh, a few of the local Grundy Mac customers that we've been working on, they came to me. So it started from there. So basically you started with a, a premises and a small customer base. Yes. Or established customer base. Yes. Uh, but um, And that was great for about 10 years. It was fine. And we had a good time. Hmm. 1998 was the start of it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was good, good fun. And then our landlords came along and said, unfortunately, we're going to have to knock part of this building down, so we need to move you. Mm. And he showed us where we could go. Um, and we said, oh, there's a lovely little corner there. We'll take that corner. And he said, no, no, you've, you've got this quite wrong. You've got to take the whole of this floor. Mm. Well, at the our old spot, we were uh, occupying 12,000 square feet. And this was 48,000 square feet. So we took it on, and um, then it sort of blossomed from there. And the cafe arrived, 
and a vintage clothes shop arrived and the haberdashery shop arrived and <laughs> so it went on and morphed into what we have today yeah which is uh can be um heaven or hell depending on what day of the week it is and what mood i am when i get out of bed or whatever <laughs> so yes it is a it is a millstone round our neck that we've created uh, as somebody once said, you've started a boulder rolling down a hill and I don't think you can stop, stop it. it. I mean, where where exactly are we? Uh, we're just outside Home Firth um, in a little bit that's called Wash Pit. Yeah. Uh, so this is Wash Pit Mill, um, as was. Um, we used to be in the village of Hepworth, again, just outside Home Firth, mm. Uh, but that was demolished a, a few years ago mm. and we had to move. And so now we're in a mill in... Uh, uh, what in the area of Washpit? Now the interesting thing when you walk around, it's this this place isn't just a somewhere that sells classic cars or services classic cars. It, it's a destination. There's all things for all people when you when you stand outside. There's this fantastic cafe where you very kindly just provided me with a full English breakfast, absolutely marvellous, proper meal. So right, the bills in the post. Yes, probably to be in a Yorkshireman it will be, especially since I'm a Lancastrian. <laughs> um, but there's people come here to buy themselves a nice meal. But you can the showroom for the classic cars that are for sale. Is also laid out in a roundabout way as a form of museum. Just because they're for sale, and the, the the workshops are big doors on them, so you can see what's in there. I mean, I've just walked past. We've got a Ford Mustang. There's one of my favourites, a Citroen Traction. There's an old Jaguar there. There's it, it's it's as much a, mu- a working museum as it is a, a workshops and a, a car showroom. We don't class ourselves as a museum. Mm. Um, we would never do that. Mm. But we have lots of... I'm a collector, mm. hoarder, collector, eccentric, call it what you will. So we, um, we... People bring things to us and say, look, we're cleaning out my dad's garage. He's died and he'd love this to go to a good home. Can you find a place for it? They'll bring an old oil can in mm. or some spanners or whatever. We never say never say uh no we don't mm. want it we always take them in um and yeah we like to display everything and yes i suppose we are a destination but that was it brings it has a each bit feeds the other bit so yeah. people come and see we've got it and people will come with their car for a service or a repair then they see we've got a cafe so they'll come back and have a meal in the cafe uh, people come to the cafe and see that we do classic cars or even modern car servicing. Um, if you want the car servicing properly, not a modern kick tyres and check it with a torch type service. Yeah, and plug, um, a lap, plug a laptop in. Um, yeah, we have one of them, but I can't use it, so I'll leave that to somebody else. But yeah, it, so we, it feeds each other. It all feeds itself. Yeah. So Now, the one thing that's happened with what I call the old Kung Fu flu is classic car, the interest in classic cars has escalated because people haven't been able to go away on their holidays and there's what you would call disposable income. By the classic car bodies and such like as that, like the Federation of British Historic Vehicle Clubs and everything else have announced that there are anticipated to be quarter of a million more classic car owners knocking about. And certain classic car dealers I've spoken to have said, Business has never been better. I mean, how are you finding it? Packed out. Yeah. Totally packed out. Uh, We thought when we had to shut the cafe, um, 
as did everybody mm. else. The hospitality side of it died a death, and we were expecting the worst. Uh, but they, luckily, the garage side of it has carried everything over, yeah. and we are busier than ever. Um, we've got one gentleman that has with us 16 vehicles, all for restoration. Yeah. That's just one chap. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's gone a bit silly, a bit, yeah. Mm. And uh, people are fine. People that didn't have or had a fleeting interest in classic cars, um, suddenly this has brought them to the front because they've nothing else to do. Uh, and as you say, they've got disposable income because they can't go on holiday mm. or whatever. So, and with the the return that you're getting from your money on the in the bank, um, you can buy a classic car, and obviously throughout you can buy anything to suit anybody's pocket, from a cheap little British classic. Uh, we just sold a, an Austin Seven mm. for seven thousand pounds. Absolutely fantastic car. Yeah. Um, which you, are good fun to drive, no matter what anybody says. But oh, you've got to learn how to drive them, yes, and but they are good fun to drive. And if you don't end up with a smile when you get out of one, yeah. you, there's something wrong with you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so there's something to suit everybody's taste, mm. and people are realising, hey, this is good fun, we can do that, we can have a good time. The social side of it is unbelievable, mm. uh, from one-make car clubs to... Classic car clubs of every type uh, to shows and what have you. And, uh, I mean, my car, I've got a pile of scrap that I've built out of bits and pieces that have been kicking around the workshop. Anybody, just butting in, anybody who comes here, as you walk into the uh, showroom come workshop, you'll see uh, a vintage car of sorts parked on the left called The Beast. And you said it's... What did you say it as? ABS or...? Uh, it's uh, ABC. ABC. All bits combined. All bits combined. Yes. <laughs> um, it's built out... Of, it's basically built out of scrap. Stuff that's been kicking about the workshop or has been put in a scrap pile of some description or is cheap on eBay or whatever. Um, but it puts a smile on my face and I take it out and go for a drive um, and people stop, talk to you, in fact, when I go away with my well, going to the uh, the uh, local festival that was here a few weeks ago, yes, I got into serious trouble with my wife because she dragged me away from it because everybody wanted to talk about it, yeah, and she dragged me away from it and said, "Come on, get away from that car because just you're just talking all the time." So yeah, because the interesting thing is, it looks a bit like maybe a vintage Bentley, maybe a vintage Alvis. But when you study the dashboard, you've got modern stacks instruments. Under the bonnet, there's a Jag engine. I mean, depending on where you look at it, determines on what it could possibly be. Totally. But it works, and it uh, it's done many a mile. And We race it on the beach at Bridlington yeah. every year. Uh, and, it, and people say, oh, do you take it on a trailer? Uh, to which I ask them to go and wash their mouth out with soap <laughs> and water. But yes, it's it's just a fun car. But that's that's... That's what it is about. It doesn't matter what it is. Hot rods. I mean, on a weekend here, we get hot rods. We get um, we get Ferraris, Porsche. We get old British cars from Morris Miners right the way through. All sorts of bits and pieces, and everybody just loves. The, you know, we'll we've got an eye for everything. We yeah. love everything, and it's what it's it's what floats your boat, and yeah. that's it. 
Now, the one thing is, besides doing what you do here, you are, well, maybe not so much now, but you were a racer, weren't you? A proper racer. Um, well, I won't say proper racer. <laughs> I was a mil- midfield player, as I yeah. used to say. it. I always had a battle with somebody. Uh, but yes, I used to. We were known as the uh, the quirky race car company because we built cars that really shouldn't have been on a racetrack. <laughs> but we made them work and made them uh, enjoyable for people. I mean, just talk us through some of these cars. Uh, my wife. Um, she had the oldest racing Morris Minor in the world, a 1949 low-light Morris Minor, which was called the Green Bug. Um, she learned to drive them with that because she was sick and tired of going to race meetings and stood on the sidelines. So I bought the car to do for me. And when we got it finished, she said, thank you, I'll take that now. And I'll learn to drive and race in that. Uh, but the thing is, once she got rid of that uh, little uh, black and yellow cross on the back of the car to say she was the a novi- novice. The novice cross. Yeah, once that went, she said, right, I've done that now. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> um, but we, we raced Morris Minor. We raced a 1951 um, Standard Vanguard Phase 1 Beetleback. We raced, uh, we built, a, for a customer, we built a... a Standard Vanguard Phase 3, which ran at Goodwood three times. We restored a Mark II uh, Zephyr for a gentleman. We built um, we built a Rover P4 105S for a lady to run, uh, which was great fun. Uh, everybody laughed at that, but it was quite a good car. It holds uh, Desiree Wilson, the only woman to run in a Formula 1 race um it was her the last car she ever drove she got out the car threw away racing gloves kept hold of a crash helmet which we wanted (laughs) uh but she said that's it i'm hanging up my uh, racing gloves and that's it i've done now yeah so that was that was a a nice one but we did yeah we used to build cars that shouldn't really have been raced Mm. but we had a good time we raced with the hrdc raced at goodwood three or four times uh on 2010, I think we had uh, eight cars running at Goodwood, mm. which uh, was a headache, to say the least. Well, especially if... We, I conclude when you said you were all, eight of them there. Were you maintaining them? Had you, had you got... I was racing one of them and maintaining seven of them. Yeah. So, yes, it was a, a busy weekend that weekend. <laughs> a busy weekend. I think my hair turned grey that weekend. Mm. Yes, but very prestigious to be doing something like. Oh, it was great. Because the one thing about Goodwood that a lot of people don't realise is, you don't enter Goodwood really, do you? You No, you're you're, you're invited. You have to be invited to enter your cars. That's it. And we were invited, and in our race, uh, the St Mary's Trophy race, um, you got to drive the car one day, but a celebrity drove it with you on the other day. And you don't get to choose your celebrity, do you? You get them, well, you you get, you get them a, handed to them a little bit. You can have a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi was supposed to drive the Morris Minor. Uh, Nicola wouldn't, my wife wouldn't drive the Morris Minor at mm. Goodwood. Uh, so I got the privilege of doing that. And Emerson Fittipaldi was down to drive it with me. Yeah. But he took one look at the photograph of the car and he said, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't fit my stature. <laughs> and so he didn't drive it. Mm. So um, Brian Redmond drove that with yeah. me. So, yes. So, uh, you're all, the benefit of that is Redmond's a Yorkshireman. Well, yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes. And, uh, yes, yeah, and a, a grand chap as well. Yeah. Trouble is, he's, uh, he's a lot older than me, 
and he's a lot better driver. Than I was going to say, from what you were saying early on, he's a lot. He's a bit faster than you, isn't he? Uh, yes, that's all. We, <laughs> with all these old professional drivers, yes, that's the one thing they get in a car that they've never seen before and make mincemeat of your times on cars that you've mm. had and raced for years, and they just show you up. Mm. But that's that's old races for you. Yeah, they never die. They just uh, well. They just get quicker. They just get quicker for some reason. Because yeah. you were saying you you watched him on the you watched him on your stopwatch, and you thought to start with, always oh, slower than me. We're doing all right. Here. Yeah, five laps down, and he was uh, he was about five seconds a lap faster than me uh, in a car that I knew. So yes, complete. Yeah, the the best one was uh, we had uh, Barry Wizzo Williams driving yeah. one of our cars. Just putting it, I once went out at Croft with Wizzo, in there was. It never really happened, but it was a recreation of the lightweight E-type series. And I was sat alongside him. And I've always said I have a pretty fair idea what I'm doing on the circuit. But I've never been with a man who was spending most of his time looking at me and laughing. And I'm in the passenger seat thinking, this E-type's completely out of control. But with Wizzle, it wasn't. Oh, we, we, he, uh, we went for a test with a, it was the uh, Ford Zephyr Mark II. Yeah. And he took the owner out, and the owner said, I've been round that circuit. He said, I never looked through the windscreen once. He said, I looked through my side window. Yeah. Or the side, because the car was completely sideways all the time. Yeah. And he said, but he was faster than me. How did he do that? <laughs> and that was Wizzo for you. Yeah. Yeah. The guy, the guy was just so, so, there was something else, wasn't it? Absolutely yes. something else. Also, you kept your wives well out of the way when Wizzo was there. Yes. Otherwise, you'd lost them as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was Wizzo. Yeah. So, I mean, what else have you raced besides like things? Like, because, I mean, you said you love racing cars that were never meant to race. But if you look back in history, most manufacturers did send the cars out to do a bit of something because it, it had a beneficial effect on oh, sales yes. if it did well. It was race them on Sunday, sell them on Monday. Yeah. Um, so we, we... There were all sorts of cars that we put out, but it was mainly the 1950s. Yeah. I mean, my first ever race was at Knock Hill, uh, which was a baptism of fire, and I raced uh, like a Lotus 7, but it was a, a striker, yeah. a little striker. I spun it three times on the first lap, <laughs> and um, the owner of the car was looking down. He talked me into racing. He said, you've got to go, you look after my car, you've got to take it for a run, mm. you've got to race it, and he entered me, unbeknown to me, uh, and then he made me take my driving, uh, my racing licence, mm. and then shoved me in the car and said, okay, you're at Knock Hill, mm. and if ever you've driven at Knock Hill, there are one or two corners there that are quite... I've never driven there, I've been Have there on a few occasions, oh, there always appears to be some very interesting corners at Knock Hill. There's uh, one in particular, and I don't know the name of it, but you come over the brow of the hill, yeah. and it suddenly turns right, mm. uh, <laughs> but you don't know it's going to turn right until you get to the top of the brow of the hill. Yeah. Um, so yes, that was a baptism of fire, and mm. I learned to drive to to race that. I raced it quite a few times. Um, the owner also had a Mark One Jaguar, and that was frightening. We raced that at uh, I raced that with Tony Dron. Oh yeah, at Mallory, and uh, I was fairly quick in that and enjoyed myself. But again, I was it wasn't my car, so I wasn't going to damage it. So I was taking it nice and steady, and I my times would have put me in the middle of the grid on yeah. the start line. Tony Drong got on it and put it on pole position <laughs> and then said, oh, well, you do the start. Yeah. So I had to start from pole position. Mm. 
in the rain, frighten the living daylights out of me. Did they all pass you? <laughs> um, a few of them did, yes. And did you get into Gerard's before any but that beautiful, great, big, sweeping right under? Um, I got there, and then a few went round me, yeah. and uh, I found the slippery, uh, the slippery route, shall yeah. we say. <laughs> Others found a slightly uh, grippier route round. Yeah. round. But we, we ended the race, and we did okay, and it came out. I think I'd got a trophy for it, yeah. and uh, many thanks to Tony for helping me round there, but yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, that was a good day. <laughs> yeah, that was a good day. Yeah, and we raced um, uh, the uh, the one that I will always remember, and one of my favourites was racing a sixty three and a half Galaxy five hundred, yeah. which I raced at Silverstone. They ran a thing called Power Nights, yeah. uh, and you used to go on a Thursday night, and they did a fifteen minute races. And I remember there were two, in my race, there were two galaxies, me and another lad. And we came round a corner together and somebody said, that's it, the whole of Northamptonshire has been taken up by two battleships. <laughs> um, which was great fun. We had, uh, and I loved that car. That was, that was a brilliant car to drive. You never change gear. The torque was enough just to leave it in fourth and let it yeah. go. And it did. And it was great fun. I mean, that those cars are from an era. I mean, you used to see them race all over in Goodwood, and you can still see them racing at Goodwood. And the interesting thing was back then, you'd get Galaxies out there, and you get Minis out in the same race. Yep. It was just interesting to watch something the size of a Ford Galaxy versus a Mini. And yep. if driven correctly or on the corners the Mini would humble this huge American car till they totally. got to the straights, and then the American car would reel the Mini back in again. That's it. That was totally it. And if it rained, you can forget about the Galaxy because the Mini would just run off into the distance. Yes. And it's the same. We were racing in pre, uh, pre-1960s races a lot of the time, and so you would get the Mark One Jaguars against the A35s. Yeah. And it was just a battle between those two. And people would say... You know, they see the district nurse in their A35 mm. and say, well, that can't be a racing car. And then you get certain people, um, the great Ray Davis in his A35, where mm. maybe you could just see his eyes below the steering wheel because <laughs> he'd be sat on the floor of it and he'd be giving uh, giving the Mark One Jaguars absolute hell yeah. and just thoroughly enjoying it and make for a great spectacle. Mm. We often took customers to. Um, we would often take customers racing with us, uh, just to spectate. And on two occasions, uh, we've come away. And people say, "Well, why do I watch Formula One? Mm. What, what's this, this? Is nothing like it. It's just fantastic." And those two customers both had us build a race car. Yeah. Took the race license and had many years of great fun racing pre sixty saloon cars. Yeah, which was just brilliant. Do you miss it? Because I know you said you'd you'd stopped. Um, no, because the stress was getting to me. And I, even now, if I go to Goodwood or I go to a race meeting to watch, the nerves get me and the stress gets me. And then I think, hold on a minute, there's none of my cars running. I don't have to worry about it. Let them get on with it. But this, I've still got friends that race and still got lads that I know that are looking after customers' cars and what yeah. have you. And uh, yeah, it uh, it still gets the adrenaline going. Mm. But no, I don't miss it. There gets to be a point when racing, you know when your limit is, mm. and you know when it's time to stop yeah. and, and get out the car before 
um, it puts you out and hurts you in the process. I've often said that with some famous old drivers, they, they knock around for a long while, no disrespect to them, but you think to yourself, it could have been an idea if you'd uh, tapped this on the head a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Turn up, turn up, appear at these events, sign autographs, shake hands, have your photographs taken, but stop, stop, keep getting behind wheels. Yes, yeah. Although we we raced, I raced in one uh, at Goodwood. I was lucky enough to be in the same race as uh, Sterling Moss. Yeah. And he was just, I mean, he was not in his dotage years. Mm. It was... Uh, but he was—he still had it. Yeah. He wasn't going to win. He wasn't in the winning car. Mm. But to see the quality, some of these old guys, to see the quality and the uh, just the skill that they have yeah. as natural skill, and then you realise I ain't ever ever going to have that skill, no matter. It was just a natural talent that some of them have, and you can't replicate that. Well, it's like Surtees world champion on two wheels and four wheels i think and like with moss it's the del- it's it's a sen- it's an inane sense of balance totally yeah totally we go back to and you can't be taught that no we go back to wizzo yeah. wizzo could put a car sideways and hold it there i've tried i can get it sideways and then it goes com- carries on going yeah and i end up going the opposite direction yeah um no, I that's maybe pushing it a bit too far. But, um, they just have a sense and just an ability, and they don't think about it. It's just natural, and they just do it. Um, I mean, one of the skills that I think just amazes me is rally driving. Um, yes, they've got a co-pilot. We all take the mickey and say, yeah, but it takes two to drive a rally car because yeah. you've got to have somebody inside of you telling you what to do. Yeah. But having said that, <laughs> having said that, watching them power a car um, on roads that aren't racetracks, just amazing. Mm. It, it just absolutely blows me away. It just blows me away. But the one thing we were talking about before we went on air, we were uh, looking at one of the Austin 7s that uh, you have on display. Interesting, it belonged to Ben Shaw. The, uh, well, no, Martin Shaw. Martin Shaw. If it was Ben Shaw, it'd have been uh, a horse and carriage. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Martin Shaw. It belonged to Martin Shaw of Ben Shaw's. Because the interesting thing is, the rad cap is a sword, sword siphon. siphon. Yeah. And the one thing about Austin 7s and Morris Miners... And if you've got the money, Fraser Nash. Somebody says, what's the best way of learning to drive? Well, drive an Austin 7, drive a Morris Minor on cross plies, drive a Fraser Nash. Regrettably, Fraser Nash are very valuable and very expensive to buy. And just potter off and go around a couple of damp roundabouts and each will teach you how to drive a car correctly, which well, is something that, in my opinion, is lacking from the modern driver. The modern driver is, is only lacking from it because they can't get their hands on these cars. But modern cars don't teach how to drive. Uh, an, old, uh, an old racing driver once said to me, all, all people, all young people driving should be put in a Ford Pop yeah. and learn to drive in a Ford Pop because that'll teach him how to use a car. Because going through your test, it teaches you how to pass your test. It doesn't really teach you car control or how to, how to drive a car. Uh, my wife, when she had lessons on how to drive to get a racing licence, 
came away from it and said, well, why don't they teach that to everybody? Because her driving on the road was vastly improved because she knew what the car was capable of and how to control it properly. Well, the other thing is, when a car... Say, say a Morris Minor on cross plies is going round a roundabout in the damp. I always say a car talks to you three ways. Through, your, through the pedals to your feet, through the base of the seat to your bum, and through the steering wheel to your hands. Yeah. And the problem is modern cars don't do that anymore. No. But these old cars will tell you. They won't just vanish sideways on you. All of a sudden, if you listen to them, they'll tell you, I'm going to break away here, so yes. get ready. <laughs> yes, and, uh, yeah, and uh, I mean... Modern cars are a lot safer, and technology's moved on. Yeah, um, and you don't. Has it made better drivers though? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, we've been to. I've been to um, track days, especially when uh, we've been sort of preparing for races, and we used to have a Porsche nine four four on very cheap tyres. Yeah, like the cheapest of the cheap tyres, and it was just an old, an old scrapper. Yeah. And we used to take that on track days and it used to break away and let go. Um, and you'd get people in Subarus and all sorts of bits and pieces and you just made mincemeat mm. of them because they didn't know how to drive the car. And when you're talking about a Subaru with four-wheel drive or a, a Mitsubishi Evo with four-wheel drive, it should go around the corners an awful lot faster than an, an old scrappy 944 mm. Porsche on cheap tyres that really don't grip. Yeah. Uh, but you could just, yeah, they might leave you on the straight, and then mm. you get to a corner and you'd be round them. Yeah. And that's the way it is. So, yeah, no, it takes away the driving element. Yeah. Yeah. So, if somebody wants to get in, if somebody wants to learn how to drive and wants to get into classic cars, what would you suggest is that their the first their first choice? I know with classic cars, it tends to be era-driven. I mean, I know one bloke who's seriously into 1980s cars. Oh, yeah. Which are still classic cars. By definition now, they are classic cars. Some are into 70s, some into 60s, etc. What would you say are the best classic cars if somebody wants to get into it for the first time? Well, it it depends on your pocket. Hmm. And a lot of it is driven by your aspirations of when you're younger. Hmm. So when you're younger and you haven't got the money and you see cars that are on the road that are period of that time, and you think, oh, that's great. Like, lots of people that we get, Capris and things like that. Yeah. And they saw them when they were younger, but they didn't have the money to buy a Capri. Now they've got the disposable income, so that's what they go for. Yeah. And the old vintage cars have a limited market. Mm. If they're a blue-chip car, if it's a Bentley or an old Rolls or something like that, it will always hold its value. But... If it's a run-of-the-mill, I don't know, Morris 8 or whatever, then the person that aspirates towards that type of vehicle, they're at a, sorry to say this, dying off, (laughs) or or they're too old to drive now. So those cars are going down in value Mm. slightly. Or hold just holding their own. Yeah, they're not they're not appreciated. But now we find the 70s and 80s cars are really fetching good money because they that's what people aspire to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, <clears throat> the trouble is, um, particularly years ago, uh, we sold a, an Armstrong Sidley Sapphire. It was absolutely superb. It was a, a beautiful car, mm. mint. The fellow bought it, brought it back two weeks later and said, 
um, this car's not right, there's something badly wrong with it. And we said, well, how do you mean? And he said, well, it doesn't drive anywhere near as good as my Mondeo. Yeah. And we said, no, but there's 50 years development between the two, <laughs> what do you expect? Um, so you've got to be the right type of person. These cars don't drive like a modern car, uh, but that's not what you're buying for. An MGB, for instance, fantastic car, but a little modern Fiesta will see it for dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, but that's not what you're buying it for. No. You're buying it for the experience, and you're enjoying it for the experience. Uh, a lot of modern cars, small engine modern cars, will see the older cars, oh, absolutely yeah. leave them standing, and go around corners a lot quicker, etc. That's not what you buy an old car for. You buy, you know... I mean, it's I an was, experience. It, yeah. it's, it, it's a nos- Every time you open the door, even the garage door, it's, an, it's a nostalgia trip. Um, I had a friend of mine with me in the beast the other day, and we were driving down, and I hit a pothole, mm. and the whole car shook. Yeah. And he looked at me in distress and said, what's happening? And I said, that's a live front axle for you. That's a beam axle. Mm. Um, that's why we have independent front suspension. <laughs> I said, that's just normal for this car. But independent front suspension takes all that away. And that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, for me, that's the excitement and the fun of it. Mm. I mean, I know you're here to talk to me, but I'll tell you a quick tale now. A few weeks ago, I was in Cheshire at a classic car show, and there was a guy there who just bought his first Morgan, a brand new Morgan. And he said, I think there's something wrong with it. Every t- it rattles and bangs and crashes and everything else. And I looked at him because, as most listeners know, I, I, do, I do drive a Morgan. I drive a Morgan 4.4. I said, welcome to, welcome to driving and owning a Morgan. I said, if you drive over a cigarette end, you know whether it's a cork tip or a roll-up. I said, that is standard practice for a Morgan. That's a Morgan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that hasn't been ironed out. And they've got a waiting list for the uh, for the uh, original type Morgans. Yeah. Because that's what people want. Yeah. That's what some people enjoy. Because people said to me, why do you never steer a straight line down the road? I said, because I'm going round the potholes. I said, because after a while it does get wearing, goes crashing off. Correct. <laughs> yes, correct. That's the fun of it. Where do you think... The carding shed and uh, IK class, sports classics will go in the future. Are you happy to carry on as you are, or do you do you see greater things on the horizon? Um, my son is the boss now, and he has great plans for the place. Mm. And slowly but surely, he's he's putting those plans into fruition. Yeah. Um, we would like, and we're on a building site as well mm. because. Yes, we're in the mill, but they've demolished a lot and they're going to be building around it. Yeah. Uh, so when it gets finished, it will be an awful lot better place and mm. better to visit with better car parks, etc. But um, it is... I think the classic car, with the way that the order books are, uh, will be going for a long, long time. Yeah. And people like to come and see and take a step back in time. So... As far as I'm concerned, it will go on forever. But I'm of an age where, to be honest, a few years' time, I won't give a damn. I might be six foot under, so <laughs> it'll be somebody else's problem and not mine. Ian Kellett, IK Sports Classics and the Cording Shed Cafe. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Ride Radio Show. Can I say, anybody who just wants to go out for a proper brew and a baking butty, it's well worth making the effort. The thing is, you might just go home 
with a classic car in your back pocket. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. We'll try and sell them one. <laughs> Thanks very much indeed, Ian. Cheers, Mark. on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk 